Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to fellowship together and to be with one another. Lord, we pray that you will be present this morning, um, helping us to learn more about you and each other. Uh, and Lord, we just pray that we are changed ever so slightly to be people more like you. And in your name we pray. Amen. So in high school, I started my school's first Christian club. Super embarrassing, I know. What was more embarrassing is that it was called First Priority. And besides my sister, who I made come with me, there were only two members. Um, I was recently looking at my yearbook and the the quote underneath the like yearbook picture of the club was the quote of like, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am with you. I'm like, how fitting. Um, but this wasn't even the worst part. The worst part was that I, as the Christian who started the Christian club, was too ashamed to be seen with these two members in public. I would literally hide from them in the hallway, and I would ignore them. They were nerdy, and this was high school, and I didn't want to be associated with them. I clearly didn't have that whole loving the outcast thing down yet. But the funny part was, is I was not cool enough in high school to not want to be seen with them. We see in the movie Mean Girls, Caddy, the main character, she doesn't want to be seen with her two friends because they're not popular because she has a reputation to uphold. Yeah, that wasn't me. I, I didn't have a reputation to uphold. Uh, my sister says, uh, and I think she's right, she said this this past weekend, that I was a nerd who wasn't particularly smart. <laughs> I'm, I'm not offended, but it, to, to give you some sense of, you know, I shouldn't have been ashamed to be seen with these two kids. Uh, but I was. 
And so whatever my intentions were back then, there was clearly a large part of first priority that was more for show than it was for making high school kids feel safe and loved. I did the opposite of show these people love. Now I keep telling my churches these stories of what poor character I have or used to have, and I should probably stop doing that, but it's super cathartic. Uh, and I've learned that my sermons are very therapeutic for me because it's like my own personal confession time. And it also ends up being a guide on how not to act, so that's something. So I'm reading Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. Have you guys heard of it? A little bit, yeah. Uh, and guys, I feel really convicted reading this book. She talks about belonging and humanity and dignity and mix that with this passage from John. And I came up with a sermon that might be hard for us to hear. And I say that because it was hard for me to write. The sermon might be a little controversial, but I figured it's Marathon Sunday and no one was going to be here, so mine's will be today. Also, I'm pretty sure whoever was doing the podcast, that's not a thing either, so it's not, oh, Anthony, you're doing it? All right. All right, never mind. <laughs> it's really, it's not that bad, uh, I hope. Anyway, so did anyone hear about all the hoopla over the White House Correspondents' Dinner last week? Um, if you didn't, this dinner is normally a dinner in which a comedian comes in and makes light of our political leaders, our political systems, and the truly outrageous things that take place in our government. But part of the goal of this dinner, which has been happening for over 100 years, um, is to raise funds to further journalism and support the press that are given access to the White House. This year, though, it got more press than normal because many believe the comedian who was chosen to speak, Michelle Wolf, crossed a line. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the purpose of this dinner or the role of comedy. And I'm not going to say whether I think Michelle Wolf crossed a line in terms of the job she was given to do. But I'm also not going to act like I didn't laugh at the jokes she made. But I will say, I was convicted. Some say that the comedic aspect is good to help us laugh at ourselves and to help us to remember that both liberals and conservatives are less than perfect and we all have a long way to go. This might be true to some extent, but I found myself convicted because I think as a Christian, I am held to a higher standard of treating people than the average politician holds themselves to. I felt convicted because of Brene Brown, author, public speaker, and researcher of vulnerability and shame. While reading her book, I came across two pages that after I was done reading them, I had an oh crap moment. She spoke truth in a way I cannot deny and that truth was going to make my life so much harder. So yeah, crap. I'm just going to read it for you so you can see what I mean. Uh, and you're going to have to bear with me because I had to edit this a lot. So she says, <clears throat> If you are offended or hurt when you hear Hillary Clinton or Maxine Waters called the B word or the C word, you should be equally offended and hurt when you hear those same words used to describe Ivanka Trump 
Kellyanne Conway or Theresa May. If you felt belittled when Hillary Clinton called Trump supporters a basket of deplorables, then you should have felt equally concerned when Eric Trump said Democrats aren't even human. When the President of the United States calls women dogs or talks about grabbing a certain body part, we should get chills down our spine and resistance flowing through our veins. When people call the President of the United States a pig, we should reject that language regardless of our politics and demand discourse that doesn't make people subhuman. When we hear people referred to as animals or aliens, we should immediately wonder, is this an attempt to reduce someone's humanity so we can get away with hurting them or denying them basic human rights? If you're offended by a meme of Trump photoshopped to look like Hitler, then you shouldn't have Obama photoshopped to look like the Joker on your Facebook feed. It's like she first saw the White House Correspondents' Dinner coming and put her book out in perfect timing so that these pages would be fresh on our minds as we laughed at those jokes. And like I said, I was one of those people. But do you see why I'm convicted? And for me, I think I felt the most convicted about the jokes concerning women. Whether or not we feel these women have been a disappointment to our gender, I believe we as women need to stick together to build each other up. What kind of example are we setting for how we want the world to treat us when we can't even treat each other well? Some might say these jokes brought about some much needed truth that needed to be heard. And sure, maybe these jokes did do that. But I wonder if there's another way, a better way to bring about truth than by making someone feel bad about themselves. I'm not suggesting that we as Christians should not take a stand on what we believe is unjust. We absolutely should. But we cannot do it at the expense of someone else's humanity and according to Brene Brown, dehumanization happens at the language level. It happens in the words we choose to talk about other people. We have to take a stand, but there is a line, and we cross it all the time. We cross it when we dehumanize people. Dehumanizing others is the process by which we become accepting of violations against human nature, the human spirit, and for many of us, violations against the essential tenets of our faith. It is demonizing the enemy, making them seem less than human, and thus not deserving of humane treatment. So as Christians, we are called to speak truth to nonsense, while also practicing civility. But in many ways, this is a paradox. And it's hard to do both, but we are called to do both. Carl Jung says paradox is the most spiritual possession because only the paradox comes anywhere near to comprehend the fullness of life. We are complex beings who wake up every day and fight against being labeled and diminished with stereotypes and characterizations that don't reflect our fullness. Yet when we don't risk standing on our own and speaking out, when the options laid before us force us into the very categories we resist, we perpetuate our own disconnection and loneliness. 
When we are willing to risk venturing into the wilderness and even becoming our own wilderness, we feel the deepest connection to our true self and to what matters the most. Here at Hot Metal, it seems we talk the most about two things, fighting injustice and love, which makes sense because fighting injustice is love, but fighting injustice and loving other people at the same time is probably the most difficult thing to do. It's easier to love others when you agree with them. That, but if you are fighting an injustice, then by definition, what you think the other people are doing is unjust, then you will disagree with them, thus making it much harder to love them. So how do we stand up for what we believe is right? while at the same time guarding the other's humanity. Jeff talked about the other a couple weeks ago in his sermon, and he talked about that, about when he talked about white privilege, um, and that was the other, is people that were different than us. And today when I speak about the other, I'm talking specifically about people who disagree with us. In the scripture today, Jesus has called us friends as a way to show how he loves us. Are we then not commissioned to do the same? What if we are called to treat everyone as a friend? You know, we say you don't have to be friends with your enemies, but what if in a way we do? If by being a friend we are talking about the way in which we treat people rather than how much we enjoy them, then I think we might have to be. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go get a beer with your enemy, although maybe that's not such a bad idea. I'm a firm believer that beer can fix a lot of things. But treating someone as a friend, by doing that, we are forced to remember that they are human, and we are less likely to dehumanize them in order to achieve our goal, no matter how just that goal may be. So why should we do this? What is our motivation? We could say because it's the right thing to do, but let's be real, I don't think that carries much weight. I think our motivation should be joy. I truly believe that Jesus commands us to live like this because it is the beauty of being in relationship with one another that brings us the complete joy that he speaks of. And it's a paradox, all right, Showing someone love and grace and dignity when you feel their views or actions are an offense to who you are. To openly engage someone when their agenda seems to be in direct opposition to what you believe. I think these things will bring us joy as unlikely as that seems. I think there is power in being free enough, comfortable enough, and to feel like you belong enough to show another love. Brene Brown says that we are only able to engage with others in this incredibly difficult way when we belong to ourselves. As Christians, this belonging comes from us knowing that we belong to God. And in that belonging, we are free to be our most true selves. We are free from fear, from failure, from what others think, and from what the world may say is true. This idea of belonging isn't true of the world yet. But I think what Brene is getting at, and what the gospel is getting at, 
is if we can attempt to live out this truth from our own lives, in our relationships with other people, then it will slowly become the world's truth as well. But that won't happen unless we have the courage to do it. So I want to leave us with a very simple phrase that we have all probably heard our parents say countless times. Think before you speak. I say this mostly to myself because I know my language fairly often does not convey the way I feel inside. I use language as a defense mechanism, as a way to make myself feel better, and as a way to voice my anger and frustration. But I wonder what it would look like if I used language just as skillfully to make someone feel loved or to make someone feel understood or simply just to raise a question rather than voice an insult. What would it look like if we all use language skillfully to fulfill the goal of making someone feel loved? Amen.